Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me, devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from the KKXX Studios Life Radio. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but have been a photographer for over 30 years. If a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you could say I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill, shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as this program, What the Cross Means to Me. Each week, we explore one of these cross images and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of Scripture. This week's devotional is inspired by the image entitled The Blessing, which is an image, without overstating it, is one of the most heavenly in the collection. In this vertical image, the cross and the foreground are in the lower section of the image, with just a sky of clouds above. Now, if I crop this vertical image exactly in half, I would still have a nice horizontal image of the cross. On the right-hand side, with a pastoral foreground covering the left-hand side. Of course, cropping it in half changes the feel of that same cross and foreground. It does not turn out bad, just different. The composition has a different feel to it. Now I only elaborate to help prepare you until you get to actually see this cross image for yourself to visualize how the entire upper half of the image is filled only with clouds. And not just the same type of clouds, but a mix of cloud types typically seen in late summer, early autumn. There's nothing else but clouds on that side except one thing, meaning on the upper half of the image, something special, a spectrum of a similar yet split-up thing, and not just the same split-up thing because this thing has been confirmed by scientists to be a particle and a wave at the same time. Yes, I'm talking about rays of light, a light of heavenly yellowish gold, and lots of rays. They break out through the rest of the clouds from the upper left-hand corner, and they spread out and down and out until they fall exactly on the cross. It seems as if God is pointing to the cross, saying, this is the answer to your quest. You see, before I found this cross on that ridge, I was always searching, always seeking, always striving to find a site to sit at, soak in the sky, and to shoot from. Yes, I returned to some sites several times, but because there was an eastern mountain range that ran north-south for about 40 to 50 miles, I had lots of options. 
I had lots of roads to find and drive up, to find a place to park and then hike around, to find a compelling spot, to chill at, soak in the sunset, and often capture the majestic scene that I would witness. This routine was a main part of the first year after losing my young wife, Verna, to cancer. All I wanted to do after my day job was sit high up on one of the hillsides and feel as if it was the closest I could get to heaven. And so after that long, unquenchable journey, I discovered this cross on that hill. And the first night I shot the cross, I knew I had captured a a very unique and cool scene, but I was not 100% sure. Back then, we did not have the luxury of instant feedback. We had to wait till we got a set of prints back from the photo lab. And as I went through the pack of prints from that first shoot, one image jumped out at me. An image I later called The Beginning. And this composition really fascinated me. It really spoke to me. More than that, it was as if God was asking me to look and speaking to me, saying to me that the sun rays falling onto the cross was a sign, as if saying, this is the answer to your quest, and this is the answer to your questions. So the first image that had this effect was called the beginning and the second time this happened which was not too long afterwards is this image called the blessing the only difference is in the beginning the rays shoot from the horizon line up and in the blessing it's from high up in the altitude with sun rays caressing down onto the cross but more than just a a note you know like a sign to me or a message to me saying that this is what it is all about in regards to my quest, but that the cross is the center of everything, not just within Christianity, but it is the center of the entire story of and for all mankind. And so I accepted this perception. I focused on that truth to the point that after shooting the beginning, the second and third visits to the cross were spent in prayer and Bible reading, and reading especially about the fateful day later to be referred to as Good Friday. As I would read, I would stop and visualize the scene that I had just read, and I would continue to the next subplot in the Calvary story. And I learned that each substory is full of symbolism and meaning. I found a universe of knowledge, wisdom, and truth in each step that Jesus took towards allowing himself to become a sacrifice for you and for myself. And most importantly, for where I was at that time in life, as a new widower, I obtained a deeper realization that when my wife accepted the sacrifice made for her, she secured her place in the kingdom of heaven through eternity. Meaning the moment she flatlined, she immediately was in the presence of Jesus Christ. And this knowing has proven to be a blessing through my life since that time at the cross. But why? Why did I choose the name the blessing for this image? Well, back when I named the images. Sometimes it was intuition and sometimes it was a remembrance of scripture, a passage that would well up inside of me. And in this case, it's Galatians 3.14, the verse that says, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. To me, this means Jesus was a part of a covert mission, a divine intention, and a plan from Eden to Armageddon, a harikari plan of sacrifice. In other words, Jesus was born to die for every human, 
and God choosing the Hebrew people was a major stepping stone, but not a destination, as Jesus was preordained to come through the Jewish religion and the Jewish people, and then through the cross, to offer salvation to all of mankind, both his Hebrews and all the Gentiles. And this plan fulfilled was not just a path to eternal life, but also a blessing while waiting for your mortal bodies to give out. And when I say blessing, I mean the blessing of the Holy Spirit that Jesus left for us before he ascended into heaven. But since blessing is the word for today's devotional, it should not just be about what I presuppose. Let's look at that word and what the word blessing means. As we've discovered over many episodes, words like blessing have many meanings. The dictionary serves up a few of these definitions, stating that it means God's favor and protection, the act or words of one that blesses, approval, encouragement, a thing conducive to happiness or welfare. And here is one that I do not expect or foresee. One definition of blessing is grace. Now the origin is Middle English from the Old English blestian from blood or blood from the use of blood in consecration. Interesting. So if I got this right, according to Miriam and Webster, then blessing comes through the blood of the sacrifice consecrating for those whom the sacrifice is intended. Wow. It almost applies that without the blood of the sacrifice that there can be no blessing. Hmm. This reminds me of a precursor to Jesus, a story full of sacrifice. Moses, who lived in the lap of luxury, living in the palace of Pharaoh, yet he gave up his sweet life and freedom when he was moved to commit murder to defend a Hebrew slave being mistreated. Now, we don't know if that was his intention when he was defending the Hebrew slave, but the result was the taskmaster died. He then fled Egypt and lived in the desert as a shepherd for the next 40 years. Then, out of the blue, God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. It says in Exodus 3, 2 that the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out from the bush, saying, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take off your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you stand is holy ground. The one thing that jumps out to me is that this account is, at least from the way I was researching it, that the way the application of the word holy is the first time it was applied this way in the Bible, in terms of how the word holy was applied to God. And the intensity of God's holiness is revealed in a way that it had never been before. Moses was so mystified by this encounter that he was inspired to write his famous hymn of victory. He made sure to touch on Jehovah's holiness. Quote, who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Exodus 15.11 I resonate with that verse as it is exactly how I felt night after night after night upon that hill, spending time contemplating but also shooting the cross. So many times when I'd be there early and watch the colors, how they would shape up and the sky would eventually go off for a few minutes, and I would be awed by the creator's fleeting masterpiece. 
And in regards to the burning bush account, why did God reveal himself through a burning bush on that day? Hmm. Well, when I connect the other application of the word, it seems that holiness is a purifying and cleansing effect. In my humble layman's interpretation, it was as if the intensity of God's holiness was forgiving and cleansing the past of Moses, a past that involved murder. So maybe God was purifying Moses in preparation for the sanctification of his ministry and messianic mission to lead God's chosen people out of Egypt and to the Jordan River so they can go into the Promised Land. I heard it said before that holiness is not simply his righteousness, although that is a part of it, but also his otherness. It is the distinction between the creator and the creature the infinite distance between God's deity and our humanity. And it seems that God was about to use Moses because the Lord was concerned about the Hebrews' plight of slavery in Egypt. And it always intrigues me what happens next, which is that Moses fulfills a messianic role to the Hebrews, who are full-on slaves to the nation of Egypt, a whole people group, estimated at that time around 2 million, or an entire slave population. And yet Moses, being obedient, became a conduit of God's judgment on Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. And that out of all the plagues that God allowed on, on Egypt, the one that intrigues me the most is the judgment of the angel of death. This was the last and worst of all the plagues. This one was to take, or kill, the firstborn of the entire nation of Egypt. Not just humans, but even the firstborn of all the cattle were to be killed. However, God provided a way to save the lives of his firstborn, of his chosen people. And God chose to do so through a lamb. Well, not one lamb, but lots of lambs, and not just any lamb. Meaning, the requirement was that it be a spotless lamb, one without any blemish. And when the lamb was sacrificed, it had its blood drained, and then the blood was used for as many houses as possible. When the blood ran out, they sacrificed the next lamb, and so on. And the procedure was that they were to use a hyssop branch as a brush and paint the blood above the mantle and on the left and right hand trim of the door. And if you can picture this in your mind and connect the dots, you'll see that the covering of blood was in the symbol of a cross. And keep that in mind when I tell you that the death angel traveled through the land of Egypt and when it came to a house with the covering of blood, in the shape of a cross, the death angel would pass over that house. If you have not heard this until now, then you know the origin of Jewish Passover, and you also know the plan of God for the entire human race. Why? Well, if you recall, I mentioned that Moses was fulfilling a messianic role. And after the night of the Passover, Moses led the Hebrew people as a deliverer through the Red Sea and into the journey of the desert a journey where God used Moses to purge out Egypt, the culture and mindset, out of the hearts and minds of the Jewish people. Moses was also the conduit for God to set up a new culture, priesthood, law, and governance. Then, at the right at the edge of the Promised Land, God ascended Moses up to heaven in his mortal body, similar to what happened to the resurrected Jesus at his ascension. When we take a step back, we realize that Moses was a very crucial figure, both in the Bible and human history. What really impresses me is that this whole story with Moses 
the Passover, the desert, the crossing over the river into the promised land was an amazing prophecy about Jesus and his future impact on humankind. But think about what I just said. Now, prophecy is usually spoken by one person, a prophet inspired by God. Yet in this situation, God uses people, lots and lots and lots of people, to foreshadow what will be in the future, especially regarding the firstborn of God, the Lamb of God, a sinless and blameless man, you can read without blemish, was sacrificed. And a sacrificial man whose blood, blood that was 100% human and 100% divine, became available to cover those who accept him and whose blood protects those who do accept him. From the death, that is a consequence of sin. To me, the whole story of the Egyptian pharaoh ordering all the Hebrew boys below two to be murdered, another exact similarity to the life of baby Jesus, to the burning bush and God's carrying his human body into heaven is the most amazing story in the Bible. The most amazing story, of course, next to the gospel story of Jesus. A story that the life of Moses and the Jewish people God used to point to the gospel. What was the ultimate goal? The whole allegory for that whole story could be applied to any of us. The Hebrews were bound into slavery like any of us before we asked God to forgive us. And then there are the 40 years in the desert where God used a, a pillar of fire to lead the new nation of the Jewish people in circles, much like a family circus cartoon, looping back and forth, back and forth, going to the edge of the Jordan River and back into the desert for four decades. Why? Well, in my layman perspective, he was purging out the Egyptian from the Hebrew people, the culture, spiritual tendencies or decadencies, mindsets and perceptions that were still clinging to the hearts of the Hebrews had to be cleansed, clarified, and sanctified out of them. Of all the two million Hebrews that left Egypt through the Red Sea, only two were allowed to cross over, those being the two spies that came back with a positive report from their reconnaissance mission, Joshua and Caleb. But through that sacrifice, the Hebrews were blessed with a godly perspective as they were led through the Jordan River and onto the blessing of the Promised Land. And through the Hebrews, through the line of Jesse, David, Solomon, and then Mary, Jesus was born at that humble little manger in Bethlehem. And yes, it was a miracle that Jesus came into this world through a virgin birth. And the entire story of Gabriel's encounter with Mary, Joseph, Elizabeth, and Zechariah is amazing. And the dichotomy of the son of the creator of the universe, the king of the Jews, born into a cattle stall is so moving and heartrending. And yes, there's a lot to learn, not just from the Magi, the rich and royal scientists from the East coming to pay homage, but also how the lowly shepherds, the poor, penniless shepherds, were invited to pay their respects as well. And yet this was just the beginning, as a newborn baby cannot fill its mission just by being born. Jesus would have to grow up, experience what it feels to be a human, start his ministry, call disciples, heal the sick, cast out demons, challenge the religious leaders, raise the dead, and more. Just a part of his ministry. The real mission coming to fruition was the symbolism of the entry into Jerusalem on a donkey, the initiation of the Lord's Supper, the passion of the Garden of Gethsemane, 
The shame, beating, mocking, spitting, whipping, torture, and crown of thorns were still not the realization of the mission, although very close. No, all of it, from the time of the burning bush crossing over the Jordan to the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary, was leading to the point where the Romans began to drive the stakes into the wrists and feet of Jesus. And yet, that was still not the end of the mission. I agree, it was significant, and we can learn so much by meditating on phrases Jesus said on the cross, like, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Or, Today you will be with me in paradise. Or, Woman, behold your son, to whom, to the disciple whom he loved, he said, Behold your mother. And what about when he said, I thirst? And all the while, all the sins of all humans across all of time and into the future was placed in and on Jesus, leading to his beloved father decoupling and completely abandoning him, leading up to when Jesus said what most people feel is the true fulfillment, when Jesus uttered the phrase, it is finished. And yet, while his lifeless body still hung on the cross, the covert mission of Jesus was barely, finally, about to be realized. Why? Because Jesus went into the realm of Lucifer and retrieved the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Hallelujah. Now we have a clear focus on the plan of God. And yet Jesus was still not done. He then rose from the grave with the intra-atomic and inter-atomic power, appearing and ministering to his disciples and many other Jews around the greater Jerusalem area. And yet those 40 days led up to the final commission to his disciples, and finally, his ascension into heaven. Now, we can look back and have an understanding of God's desire to restore a right relationship with him through the life, death, and resurrection of his beloved son, Jesus. Of course, the resurrection ministry and ascension would not have happened without the cross. Like a poem I recall from William Penn, which says, No thorns, no throne, no cross, no crown. The crown? Yes, because even past the ascension, the mission of Jesus continues at the right hand of the throne of God, and he will return to earth someday. The point is the whole plan of the gospel from the Garden of Eden, the miracle of the Nativity, the ministry of Jesus, and his passion was all leading to the cross. And everything after the resurrection, the ministry of his resurrected body, <clears throat> ascension, and second coming, could only have happened because of the cross. The story of salvation of all humankind is it is all because of the cross. And it is because of the cross we have our blessing. Remember the dictionary says the origin and definition of blessing is from blood, from the use of blood and the consecration which translates to grace and something conducive to happiness and welfare. Hmm. The dictionary has been helpful, but for this specific topic, we have a definition from the master teacher himself. In Luke chapter 10, we learn, in response to a question about what was the greatest of the commandments, he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and the second is unto the first, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now in a similar exchange, Mark 12, when a Pharisee asked, what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus used the same two commandments, to love your God completely and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he added and said, do this and you shall live. And in the Hebrew, in the, in the translation, it's not living in heaven, it's living here on earth. We see in this passage 
many truths, two in particular. One, Jesus is saying the second commandment is just as important as the first. The first is to love God completely. And he is saying that to love your neighbor is just as important as loving God with all your heart. Huh. Now, this means that we can view every human we minister to as really ministering to Jesus. And if a human we are interfacing with is in a bad or dark place now, have faith. There's still a spark of God in that person. And that means there is always a potential for them to change and convert. It's quite a paradigm shift if you meditate on it. The second truth is that Jesus said, do this, meaning follow these two commands and you will live. But remember, the question from the Pharisee was, what must I do to have eternal life? But Jesus responds with a here and now response. Securing a destiny of dwelling with Jesus for eternity is of the utmost importance. But how do we live in the meantime? Some of us who are getting long in the tooth still have the possibility of living another 20, 30, or 40 more years. And in a world that seems to be descending deeper into chaos, what type of life should we expect of ourselves? This is the good news of the gospel. Wherever you find yourself in life, being in the resurrected Christ and allowing Christ to dwell in you, will facilitate a life full of happiness and welfare, like the dictionary definition of blessing. This means God will provide for your needs and imbue you with a bubbling source of joy. To my friend whose life is full of stress and strife, who says to me, how? Well, I just alluded to it. When Christ is in you and you are in him, then the other dimension referred to as the kingdom of heaven surrounds you, protects you, and fills you with contentment. As it says in Isaiah fifty four seventeen, no weapon formed against you will prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the service of the Lord, and this is the vindication from me, declares the Lord. And even if it is not time for you to go home, your destiny is secure. This is our blessing. As a believer in Christ, no matter what situation you face, the worst case scenario is the best case scenario. This knowing provides peace to your life now and contentment to go through anything in life. The joy this perspective provides is one that needs to be shared. As it says in Psalms 23, 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. Wow! My cup runneth over. There are entire sermons just on those four words. And as John said to, <clears throat> and as Jesus said to the woman at the well, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So by living in Christ, you are not only blessed, but a conduit of blessing to those in your circle of influence. If you are a Christian, have you been living in this perspective? Ask Jesus to dwell inside of you deeper and for you to dwell in him. Doing so removes doubt, fear, and pain and provides the faith needed to endure every trial and strength and to sacrifice whatever you are called to, as Jesus did, for the kingdom of God. Go, be that shadow, be that blessing today. And if you are not a Christian, I suggest you consider accepting the incredible sacrifice Jesus made for you, contemplating what Jesus did for you. Read the crucifixion accounts in the Bible and consider asking God to refine your soul and heal your heart. Then be, be ready to be filled 
with joy and peace. Ask Jesus to walk with you and fill you with his love today. And with that, go in grace. May God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me devotional heard every week on KKXX Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed in this essay's image, The Blessing, along with other verspirations, then check out Rob Holt Inspires on Instagram. And if your church, youth group, or school would like to learn how to fundraise through the Cross products, hear other Cross podcasts, then log on to roberholt.com. That is R-O-B-E-H-O-L-T dot com.